0: Hey, good morning, Fellowship Fayetteville. It's a beautiful morning this morning. We get to gather and we get to worship. Hey, one quick announcement. Um, If you are creative at all, if you've been involved in our creative ministry, Spectra, we're having a brainstorming meeting uh, today at 1.30 right across the hallway in this classroom here. Um, If you're just interested in seeing what, uh, and brainstorming with us or what Spectra can be this creative ministry, we'd love you to come and be a part of that. Church, this morning we're reminded in Psalms 92 uh, that we have a good, faithful father. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praise to your name most high, to declare your faithful love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. He's faithful to us, amen? And so we're going to sing praises, sing songs this morning about his faithfulness, about his provision in our lives, and about how he's making uh, all things rich uh, through Jesus Christ. And so... Church together, let's stand and let's sing songs this morning.
1: It's honey in the are water and stroke men on the ground no matter where I go. I don't need to worry now that I know everything I need you got this honey. For a miracle thirsty for even well, only you can satisfy sweetness at the mercy, seen how tasted it's not hard to see, only you can satisfy so it's this.
2: It's sunny in the
1: rock. in the rock.
0: a seat check out this video.
3: I'm Ryan and this is Abby. We're the Joneses. We first signed up for Merge because we'd been engaged for a few months and we wanted to figure out what might be the best way for us to go about our engagement as far as glorifying the Lord and ultimately learn as much as we could about marriage.
4: We actually got to finish Merge like a few weeks before the wedding which was really sweet um, and got to meet a lot of couples in it uh, that just got married or got married a little bit after us or, and got engaged during Merge, which was really fun too.
3: One thing that, that we really used from, from Merge that became applicable immediately after being married was how to handle conflict and just discovering the different ways of whether you pursue withdrawal during conflict or how long you may sit on something before you bring it up and maybe some of those telltale signs that there might be something wrong. Um, those conversations really helped us whenever everything became more real when we actually started living together and doing life together. The experience that we got from the older couples that were in there, um, whether it was the people giving the talks or Alex and Hannah Russell, our leaders, um, just meeting up with them one-on-one or um, getting dinner with them as couples, and just even hearing what they had to say every session. like It was really useful to learn a lot of the practical like how to's in the content, but seeing it applied in older marriages was very beneficial to us.
4: It's also cool if you're a younger couple and maybe you're the first in your friend group to get married, you feel a little less alone uh, because there's people around you that are in the same stage, or someone that's eight or 10 years ahead of the game of you, and like already has kids. And so you get to talk to them about these things of Uh, What we may want in the future, and it's it's just really cool to Learn from them.
3: It really helps you discover some of the different ways that maybe you were raised um, and And it's in the name like it's two people merging together And I think it really digs at some of those points of future contention
4: Talk to her boyfriend or fiance about doing merge because there's at least for sure one or two topics that you And your boyfriend may have not talked about yet.
3: Yes, it is a time commitment every week. And yes, it's not necessarily a passive engagement, like you're expected to to take some, some steps in the right direction. But if you ultimately want your life and your marriage to be on the right track, this is a great step, especially for those who are in engagement.
2: All right, good morning, fellowship. That is merge, and it is starting July 9th. So if you are seriously dating or engaged we would love for you to sign up. Um, We also have a foster care meeting. If you are interested in fostering, if you are currently a foster family, anywhere in the foster world, we would love for you to head over to the fellowship classroom at 1030 today. Happening today. Uh, (laughs) Just a little reminder if you need that. Um, Also, I don't know if I said it, I'm Ann. I work with young adults. So if you are between your 20s and 30s, you have just graduated college. Maybe you're doing a master's. Maybe you're 30 and professional in the professional workplace. Maybe you are a newlywed, you're engaged. I mean, it's a broad season of life. That is where I work. Um, And I just want to share a little bit about our ministry because it is new. And um, I've been very encouraged, so I want to share what's going on with you. Um, This January, start of a new year, lots of people wanting to get connected. Uh, And so Dave and I, I work with Dave. We looked at each other. What do we do? We have so many people that want to get connected, that want to be in a Bible study. We had a large group study for five weeks and we had around 50 people so that's a lot of people that want to be connected Uh, and from that large group study we had four groups launch which was really encouraging and I say that to say that if you are a young adult in this room and you want to get connected we have a place for you. We want to um, get you connected. And also, we had a leaders meeting, um, a leaders dinner, actually. And I looked around the table. We had 30 leaders for this brand new ministry, which is really encouraging. So that being said, if you are a young adult and you want to get connected, find Dave, find myself, we have a place for you. All right, guys, let's worship.
1: prepare
5: something or not done something that has caused harm in relationships with others, relationships with God, Um, but look around, we're a family and we get to confess together and we believe that confession is holy and it brings healing. So will you all stand with me, fellowship, and let's say these words together. Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. We have not loved you as you deserve. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not obeyed you as we should. Lord, forgive us our sin. We are in need of a savior. But that's only the first part of the story. For those of us in here that claim Jesus as Lord, we do not have to stay in the brokenness of our sin. He has done the work on our behalf. So church, let's say this together. Church, believe the good news. Jesus Jesus died for us. Jesus rose for us. Jesus Jesus intercedes intercedes for us. In In him, him we are a new new creation. creation. In In him, him we have have forgiveness of sin. In him, we have a savior. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen.
0: Church, every sermon series that we have, our worship leaders get together and we try to write songs, reflecting themes, reflecting the main ideas of of these books that we study. And the hope behind that is that as we sing these songs and as we proclaim uh, these truths straight from these books, is that we we begin to believe, we learn and believe these truths more and more. And so we've done that um, with this series as well, this First Peter series. We've written a song called Risen King. I wanna show it to you all. And hopefully it, the same thing happens, that you learn it, that we sing these truths and they, they stay true to our hearts. Um, and this, this week in particular is special for me um, to get to sing this song. And we, we planned to sing this song um, a few weeks ago on this Sunday, but it means a lot to me. Um, a week ago today, I lost my father-in-law, uh, Donnie, and uh, to a battle with cancer. And so that's fresh and, and we miss him dearly. But in his last days that he spent in the hospital, he proclaimed these truths that we're gonna sing. To anybody who would listen, he would share his testimony and he would, he would share the gospel. And in this song in particular, a theme that we kept seeing in 1 Peter is this idea of security, that we're secured by the blood of Christ. And so as I've been singing this song this week, uh, I'm so encouraged. By Donnie's testimony and the security that he felt even in his last days and hours. And so I hope that can be me down the road. Um, so church, let's sing this song together. You're, you're going to learn it and I know, um, but as you hear the chorus more and more, hopefully you're able to sing it with us.
6: Inheritance that we live.
5: Sober. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in arrogance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I.
7: the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, I wasn't planning on doing this, but uh, thanks for sharing your story uh, and, his, and your father-in-law story. And I don't know, I mean, the difficulty it is, and, and our worship team puts a lot of effort and thought into trying to make the songs that we sing match with where we're going in the passage and what we're seeing in the, in the scripture. And I have tried to write songs before, and I cannot do it okay just cannot do it so the uh, the difficulty of what they just did is pretty remarkable actually and if you'll look at our passage today we'll be in 1 Peter 1:13 1, through 25 the words are taken just right out of the book of 1 Peter and that's really cool all right so he already, he went back there well I was going to say give him around give the team a hand but they went back there uh, so anyway um, it's really hard. I can't do it. Okay. So I see something. I'm like, that's really cool. Um, good morning. My name's Garland. How are we this morning? Doing good? All right. Uh, it's good to hear. Um, in, in life, if you've, you've, you've probably, we've probably all had an experience like this. In life, there are certain moments in life where everything after that moment, things have to adjust. Like your behavior, your lifestyle has to adjust. Sometimes those are good moments. Like um, you, you get a promotion and it moves you to a new, a new part of the country and you're gonna adjust where you live and adjust how you live and it uh, comes with some positive, maybe a raise and a, a new title. Maybe it's uh, uh, your wedding day or the positive pregnancy test. Like now, okay, things are different. My behavior, my choices have to change because of this. Some of them are bad things or they can be more negative experiences. Maybe it's uh, the loss of a job, or it could be uh, maybe negative health news. I'll give you one just from my life recently. It started six months ago, and I got the follow-up this past week, okay? Um, I received some health news, and it was the kind of news that made me feel immediately more of an adult than I think I've ever felt in my life. Um, They told me that my cholesterol was high, and I was like, I don't even know what that is. And I said, what is cholesterol? Like, what does that even do? They said, your cholesterol is high. And I said, okay. I said, you got six months to come in and get it lower, or uh, you have to take a pill every day because of it. And so at six months, I said, what am I supposed to do? What, how do I, you know, how do I fix it? And they said, well, you, you need to change how, your behavior. You have to stop eating or eat less red meat, fried and fatty food. And I looked at, he might even be here. And I went, no, Just, I'm not doing that. And by the way, it's, it's only 9.20, and some of you were like, hey, let's get this service over with. I got a Slim's call waiting on me or something like that. Like, I got to get to some lunch, and some of us are already feeling it. And I was like, I don't want to make the change of that behavioral choice. Now, I, I'm going to suggest for us today, as we continue in this First Peter series, today could be one of those days By the way, whether you've been following Jesus for a long time or you're not even a Jesus follower and you're just checking this whole thing out, today, because of what Peter is telling us, today could be one of those days where I'm going to ask you to potentially have to consider your lifestyle in light of what the scripture says. It's going to be true for all of us in the room This morning. Now here's where we're going to go this morning. We're calling this the exile's lifestyle. We're continuing this way of the exile thing we've been working through all the way back with our Esther and Daniel series at the beginning of the year. And Here's where we're going today. We're going to see that your vision for the good life will define you. Your test of the good life will surprise you. I'll make sense of that when we get there. What is the test for this? Then lastly, your source of the good life will set you free. It will free you. So your vision Test, I'm going to give you a test this morning, and lastly, your source. If you have your Bibles, go with me to First Peter chapter 1. We're going to pick it up right here in verse 15 as we continue walking through this letter. It's a letter written by one of Jesus' close friends. Uh, nearly 2,000 years ago to a group of Jesus followers, people proclaiming Jesus as king, living in what we now call Turkey, but at the time was part of the Roman Empire. And they're trying to figure out what does it look like to follow a different king than Caesar and to herald Jesus as the crucified but risen king of the world in a culture that doesn't really understand that and might even be hostile to it. That's why we're doing that. That's why we're doing this series. is because we need to learn some of the same things in our culture Today. So where, where do I get this good life vision language? Notice, he comes out and he says, and it's a command. It's an imperative in the original language. It's a command. It's the force of do this. He says, set your hope. Peter wants his reader, and by extension, you and me. He says, check your hope. The thing that you are looking to, the thing that you are aspiring to, to say, if I can get that, then I will know that my life has security, that my, that my life matters. What is your hope? What are your eyes fixed on? What is your vision? And then he's going to say, let's talk about your good life. What's your vision for the good life? Now, it's a little bit obscured in translation. All of the things I've bolded here, all you do, live out in way of life, those are all the same Greek word in the original language, either the noun or the verb form. Uh, and so it's a little bit obscured in the NIV here. It's hard to see that it's the same thing. Peter's gonna use this word over and over and over again in 1 Peter. In fact, it's a word used a lot of, uh, all, all over the place in your New Testament, and it's used broadly in the ancient Greek language. The word is anastrophe is the Greek word. Anastrophe literally means to be turned Upwards or turned towards something. It means something like this. To live your life out turned towards an ideal or a set of principles or a set of values. A life turned in a direction. It shapes how we live, move, and breathe in the day to day. It's a really fascinating word for Peter to use here. And I think he's, he wants us to check what is your vision what are you oriented to that you say that enables me to know I'm living life well? It guides my behaviors in the real time. There's a modern philosopher. I think he's really helpful here. His name is James K.A. Smith. Um, and he, I think he can help us kind of make sense of this in our, in our modern language. Uh, he, I think he got his PhD. I think it was at Vill- Villanova. Uh, and here's what he says. I quote from him all the time. Um, he has a, a popular level book I would recommend to you. It's called You Are What You Love. And so uh, if, you, if you like these next quotes, then maybe check them out. Um, it's interesting. Here's what he says, though, and I think he's exactly right. He helps us to make sense of what Peter's saying. He says, to be human is to love. Smith will suggest that we're not primarily thinking things or cognitive things. We are devoting things. We are loving things. And he says, to be human is to love. And it is what we love that defines who we are. Our ultimate love is constitutive or it constitutes our identity. And he continues, he says, we're not talking about trivial loves here. Like when we say we love pizza or the Boston Red Sox, the Razorbacks. We're not even quite talking about significant loves like when we say we love our parents or we love a spouse. So what are we talking about? Here's what he says. He says, rather, we are talking about ultimate loves, that to which we are fundamentally oriented, what ultimately governs our vision of the good life, what shapes and molds our being in the world. In other words, what we desire above all else, the ultimate desire that shapes and positions and makes sense of all of our penultimate desires and actions. Smith would suggest to you and to me to consider that every single one of us, whether you're a Jesus follower or not in the room, every single one of us is oriented towards some picture of the good life, as we would define it, some preferred outcome that we want to see happen. And then everything else in our life essentially arranges towards that good life. This is a deep thought, actually. Um, it's, It's 9.30 in the morning, so I'm asking you to go really deep and think through your life. And let me ask you the question, what is your vision of the good life? What is the thing you are setting your hope in? What is your aim? Because oftentimes our actions and behaviors, our lifestyle is actually oriented towards that. Let me, let me just give you a couple that I see kind of in our culture, okay? And, and uh, I'm gonna ask you in the, early in the morning in the summer to maybe have some honest reflection. This has, been, this has been super convicting for me the last few weeks. Is your vision of the good life just the good old-fashioned American dream? This picture of you know, the, the, the comfort and the car and the house and the, and the lake and the, the great family and the 2.5 kids and the dog and the picket fence and the retirement package and all that. Kids that are healthy and kids that are successful, kids that go and meet their spouse in college and they get married and they have healthy lives and everything's great. Is that your vision for the good life? Do you say, man, that's really what I would want more than anything else, that's where, I, that's where I give my time and devotion and money towards. It's why we got to be honest in here, because if you're a Jesus follower, I bet many of us would say, no, Jesus is my vision. But on, upon careful reflection, what is your vision for the good life? If it's that, just that classic old American dream, then Jesus could be a part of that vision, but he'll be a secondary part. He'll be a penultimate part Others I see kind of in our culture around us. Maybe this is you in the room. Is your vision for the good life some sort of progressive, kind of utopian community where tolerance rules and you can be who you want and do what you want and love who you want and nobody tells you anything otherwise as long as you get to be you and find yourself and live how you want to live, we'll finally get there. We can imagine a world like that. Thanks, John Lennon. And we're building towards this this progressive community, if that's your your vision for the good life, then Jesus very well may be a part of that, but he'll be a secondary part of it or a tertiary part of it. He'll be penultimate, in other words. Let's just get real honest. For many that I see inside and outside the church, our vision really of the good life is just pleasure, comfort, comfort ease, just pleasure. And if that's your vision for the good life, just to enjoy as much as I can, then Jesus very well might be a part of that, but he'll be secondary. And whenever they're at odds, Jesus will fall. He'll push them to the side. See, it's so difficult, I think, for us to genuinely and truly orient towards Jesus and his kingdom as our vision of life and life to the full because we get bombarded with all these things that tell us, no, this is the way to the good life. And Peter says, set your hope in the right place. Let me go personal for just a moment for me. I I want so desperately for Jesus and his kingdom to be where my hope is set. I want that desperately. But if I'm being honest, I think often what I really am after, I want to, I want to, I want a comfortable, easy, fun life for me and my kids. I want to go on awesome vacations, have awesome dinners with awesome friends, and I want all of that to happen and never have to worry about money and think about any of that. And what happens when Jesus says obey? See what we're talking about? Your vision for the good life will actually define you. It defines how you behave. It defines how you live. So how would you test it in your life? Now, just to lighten the mood a little bit, because we went a little heavy there, just just lighten the mood. Just by show of hands, some, help me out here. How many of you, when you took tests, some of you got to look a little farther back in your life. Some of you were in school right now. How many of you absolutely hated taking tests? By show of hands, so raise your hand high. Show it high. You just despised it. Now, I want to see how my percentage look really high. It seems about half. Like, you just hated taking tests. I know for me, uh, I have friends that have told me, and I don't relate to this, so I can't really empathize with you. Um, I had friends tell me that they would study, and they would cram, and they knew the material. But the day the test day came, they would go into the test, whether it's high school, college, junior high, whatever it may be, and it's like, and they describe it like, it's like my brain turned off. Like the anxiety and the fear of the test itself, just the test itself, it's like everything went, went dark and I couldn't retrieve any information because of the pure anxiety of the moment. Uh, I, that sounds terrible, by the way. Like I feel for you in that. My favorite test I've ever taken was the, uh, it's the Arkansas State Motorcycle Permit Test, okay? And I verified this recently because uh, Brian Pope and I took it at the same time uh, about, about 20 years ago Um, this is how the test is designed, I believe. Uh, The test, I think, was designed to convince anyone taking the test to never, ever, ever want to get on a motorcycle, ever, in their life. And I am not exaggerating. I'm not overstating this. Here are some of the questions. Um, One of the questions was this. Um, In the event of a wreck, in a motorcycle, you are, A, more likely to face death than a car. B, equally likely to face death than a car, and C, less likely to face death than a car. What's the answer? It's A, but it's like, what kind of question is that? Are you just convincing me? One of them was the exact same thing, but more likely to face serious injury, or be in a coma, or something like that. One of the questions, and I'm not exaggerating, one of the questions was this. List the only benefit of riding a motorcycle. And it was A, uh, increased risk of death in a car wreck, B, increased risk of serious injury in a car wreck, C, you can see 360 with no obstruction. And the answer was C, but it's like the only benefit of doing this, and then of course the driving test, they said do this little loop, and the guy goes, start, and I I started it, and then he just turned around and started talking to somebody else, and that was it. He just said, yeah, he goes, oh, you're good, I don't really care. I was like, you're putting putting like teenagers out of the road like this. Anyway, um, what is the point of a test? A test is supposed to do two things. One, it shows areas of weakness. It shows deficiency. And a test also highlights areas of proficiency, areas where the students have mastered the subject. Or think about it like with an, like the, the NFL combine. It shows uh, this player maybe can do this really well, but they had a slow 40 time. And so it gives you strengths and weaknesses. I want to give us some things to look for that would be positive strengths and maybe things to look for that would be negative. And they might surprise you. okay. The test may surprise you. Let's take a look at it. Verse fourteen. Peter says, "As obedient children, don't be conformed to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance." Now, um, I understand the translation choices here. Um, I get what they were going for in the NIV, and so I promise I'm not being like I'm not being mean spirited here. But I think there's some there's some things in the translation I don't love, and so I hope this isn't blasphemous. Uh, don't condemn me. I'm telling you ahead of time. I, I went ahead and I just I made kind of what I think is the better way to make sense of the way the grammar flows in the passage. Don't freak out, okay? Uh, I, just want, I just kind of translated it directly, okay? And here's why I'm gonna show you a few things in the passage that I think we need to see, and translation carries it out. First is this the NIV has it um, do not conform, but it's missing. This is see, verbs back in like grammar, uh, like fifth grade grammar, there are active verbs I hit the ball. And then there are passive, ver- passive verbs. The ball was hit by me. And this verb is actually, a, it's called a middle or a passive. The subject is receiving the action, not doing the action. So don't conform is an active, but do not be conformed. We have to carry that sense. Um, it's the same idea in Romans. i let the NIV stand in Romans. It's the same issue here. Do not conform, but it really should, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Here's why it matters. Can I give you the the difference? Here's why this is important. What Romans 12 here, what Paul was telling us is, there's no getting out of it. Every single one of us is going to be pressed into a mold of something. Either it'll be the pattern of this world or it'll be the transformation that takes place by the Spirit in you. But we're all being pressed into a mold of some kind. We're being conformed. That's the first thing. I wanted to bring it out in our translation here. The second is this. He says, don't be conformed to the things you did in y'all's ignorance. Again, all of this letter is talking to a plural, second-person plural, y'all's ignorance. And the last one is this word here. I'm intentionally not translated. Look at your Bible. Look down at your Bible or your digital device, whatever you've got. Um, it gets translated different ways. Some of you probably have evil desires. Some of you have lusts, I bet, something like that. Um, is there anything else? Just come find me later and tell me uh, what else you might have for this. Uh, it's the Greek word epithumias, okay? Uh, thumos is the word for heat or passion, something like that. And epi means on or over, okay? So it's an overpassion, an overdesire. And I think this is where uh, Tim Keller is really master- was really masterful in pointing some of these things out. Now, just in 30 seconds, we've lost some giants around here in our congregation than last month, and we lost one kind of in the broader Christian community. And uh, because I, I don't want to talk about it at, at length, um, because it'll probably make me get emotional, I don't want to do that. He was a uh, my wife asked me, next time you quote him, you quote him all the time, are you going to say something? It's like, I don't know, am I, should I? Uh, but here I am. Um, uh, he was a really big influence on a lot of, a lot of people. Um, but, but the guy talking to you right now, he was a huge influence on, on me and learning what it looked like to engage culture winsomely or doing our best to try to engage culture winsomely but using the scripture to do so. So I just wanted to give a nod to a life well-lived and a guy that had a huge impact on the kingdom, including me. I don't know many of you in the room, but here's what he says. And I think he's exactly right. He says, our own disordered hearts, notice it, disordered hearts racked by inordinate desires. Just pause right there. To want connection, to want to be loved, like that's a, that's a fine desire. But an over-desire, an inordinate desire will lead you to codependency. It'll lead you to give, to give your body away. It will, it will lead to a thousand things, and that will then control you. A desire to work hard and be successful is a fine thing, but an inflamed desire for that can lead to workaholism. It can lead you to make shady deals We have to check, Peter would say, our desires because they end up enslaving and controlling us. They lead us to feel superior. They lead us to exclude those without them and they fail to satisfy us even when we get them. And Peter's gonna say, it's part of this package that was handed down to us from our ancestors. There's a vision for the good life that our culture embraces. The ancient Roman world was the same as the modern world. And it produces over-desires, inflamed desires, and it's handed down to us. Notice what Peter says. He says, it's an empty way of life that you received. The negative, this is why I think it may surprise you. The negative, what are the places to look at in your life to see? Maybe this is a deficiency. Notice, it's not, I'm not giving you a moral checklist. Peter's going to get specific. He's going to get pragmatic in the pages that follow. But I think at first, he wants you to check your desires. So I would encourage you, check your desires, your vision for the good life. But what are the positives? Let's see the positives. How would you? What would be marks, we might say, of one who's embraced the way of the exile? Peter says this, Therefore... With minds that are alert, literally it means the binding up of the loins of your heart. It's a Hebrew idiom, Hebrew expression. We would probably say something like rolling up your sleeves, roll up the sleeves of your mind. And then he says, and be fully sober. The first mark is going to be urgency, alertness, readiness, urgency. I don't think when he talks, when he's talking sober here, he's talking about substance, uh, substances, substance abuse, but I will Let's speak on it just for a moment. Your alcohol use or not use, wherever you stand in the room right now on marijuana as it's uh, becoming more used in our culture, you are going to have to square your consumption of those things or anything with sobriety, like alertness, urgency. And you can't have an urgency high or drunk. And we just have to be honest about that. There's a lot to be discussed there, but you have to take ideas like this and you've got to run your behavior through it. Urgency is the first mark. The second mark is this. He says, as obedient children, obedience. He's going to say it again in verse 22. Now you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth. The second mark is obedience. Bending the knee to Jesus as king. Can I just say for a moment We hate this as Americans. It grates against everything internal in us that says we rejected kings and I am my own individual autonomous self. But here's the rub. Okay, ready? When you have desires and the scripture speaks, who yields when they don't agree? Jesus would say, obey. Teach him to obey everything I commanded you. Do you have that mark? We don't like this. We don't, it grates against us, but do you have that mark? It's not because he's a tyrant. It's because he actually has your joy in mind. Do you trust him? Third mark. What's our third mark? He says, have a sincere love for each other. Loving one another deep, deeply from the heart. In the ancient Roman world, this had some teeth to it. See, it's easy to love people that are just like us, easy to love people that are like, uh, people that we already love, easy to love people in our family, easy to love people that have the same hobbies as us and interests as us. But in the ancient Roman world, one of the things that we're gonna see that the New Testament church was doing is it was the only place where the ethnic problems went away because Jew and Gentile could sit down at the same table Male and female could sit down at the same table. Free and slave could sit down at the same table. So this love right here, it has some teeth to it. And It means to cross boundaries with that kind of love. So what are our marks? Our negative would be check your desires. Our positive marks of a lifestyle that's embraced the exile would be this. You live with urgency, obedience to Jesus, and you have a, a radical love for even people that are hard for you to love. How's you doing on the test? We're going to get more as Peter goes from here. We're going to, pages that follow, we'll see more. But how are we doing in the test? Peter says, this is how you have to live out your time as foreigners. Remember? We're elect exiles, chosen foreigners. Get used to it. How are we doing? Fellowship Fayetteville. Here's Here's a fear I have at this point in the talk. A fear I might have is that some of you may be sitting here going, "Um, okay, 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 I get it. I see the passage. I'm hearing you, Garland. Like you, you, maybe I'm not past the test as well as I should and I've got some areas of weakness and some things I know I need to get better at. I'm gonna go work harder. I'm gonna go be better. I'm gonna do better. I'm gonna be a better Christian. you, You convinced me, okay? And by the way, if that's you, I'll take that as a start. If you're here this morning and you're saying, you you know, I really have no interest in yielding to Jesus when we're in conflict. And this church thing, ah, it's it's a cool thing. I'm a part of that. Yeah, whatever. If you are just sort of sluggishly, passively going through your Christian life and give no reflection, no thought to behavior. And when the scripture in your life are in competition, the scripture always fades. I would, actually, I would actually invite you this morning to consider who is your king. Do you know Jesus is king? But if you're here saying, okay, I, I wanna, maybe I wanna do better, or maybe I need to work harder, can I? that motivation will last, but only temporary. Some of you may have more resilience than others, but it's not a lasting motivation. We need a different source to unlock for us truly living this out. Look at verse 15 and 16. He says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy, because I am holy. And I know know what happens when I read that passage. Those of you that I just said, I hope you don't leave here going, um, I gotta work harder and be better. You're like, then why'd you show that? Isn't that what that's saying? See, I get why we do that. It sounds like it says this, be perfect. Live perfect. Then we look at ourselves. I'm failing the test. Try harder to be perfect. I think part of this is coming from a fundamental misunderstanding of what holiness means in the Hebrew and Jesus community's imagination. So what does it mean? Why is this incredibly motivating? Uh, The the best way I have to illustrate it is this. uh, And I'm stealing this illustration from my my good friend Nick Roland. He works up at our Rogers uh, campus. Uh, he's the, he, the congregation leader of our Mosaic congregation. And uh, this is the happy birthday plate. It's a part of the Roland family. His wife, Cassie, made it, uh, oh, about oh, 12, 15 years ago. Um, she made it in the ceramics class. And uh, if you notice, it's really not all that special. It's not, I mean, I wouldn't spend any money on that, okay? Um, but Cassie made it. And every single year on the people's birthday, so whoever's birthday it is, they pull out the happy birthday plate. They never eat on it besides that one moment. They pull out the happy birthday plate, and as they're doing just the family and friends uh, and the birthday time, uh, they're, they eat on the happy birthday plate. It's just an ordinary old plate that Cassie made, nothing, nothing to write home about. But for the Rolands, it's been made special. It's been marked. It's a part of... Special moments in their life. I asked Nick one time and he said about this, and he said, if our house caught fire, this would be one of the things I would grab. And you're like, What well, it's not worth anything. But he was like, I would go grab that would be one of the things I would grab. This is a fantastic way to understand what holiness means, what it looks like. The plate is common, not important, not valuable in itself, but it's been deemed. Special. It's been consecrated. It's been set apart for uncommon special use. That's what holiness means. That's holiness. But its status is given to it by the one who said this plate matters to us. It doesn't have it of itself. Now, take that idea. Let's reread the passage. But just as he who called you is holy... So be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because am I holy." Do you see the difference? There's some, some bad news in it. Hear me. What the Bible is going to say about us, all not valuable, all uncommon, nothing to write home about. And yet in Jesus, it's marked as special, set apart, consecrated, Amazing. Nothing like it. Isn't that cool? St. Peter would say, That's, you've been marked, called as holy. He's the one who is holy. Now go live it out. Go, go live out your identity that you now receive. Now, how do we get it? How do we get that status? We, we, can't, we, can't, we can't end there. How do we get that status? I want you to see it. It's conferred on us. It wasn't with perishable things like silver and gold that you were redeemed. But how did we get holy? How did you get made holy? The precious blood of Christ. The precious blood of Christ. You see it. He, who was holy, was cast down as a commoner. He who was set apart, called from the foundation of the world, was then labeled a criminal. He who was marked with power and beauty was thrown out as something ugly and vile. So that you and I could be called and said, holy. You see it? This a lamb without blemish or defect, chosen before the creation of the world, was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him so your faith and hope are in God. How do we get that status conferred on us? It's always been about Jesus. It's the fuel for living this vision for the good life. And here's how we close. Um, I would hate for anybody to leave today going, I better go work harder. You may have some major lifestyle things and vision, desire things to think through, and I hope you do. But I want to get your eyes up. A French writer back in the middle part of the 20th century said this, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. The way of the exile, the elect exile, It's not a life of begrudging submission. It's the life of joy. Set apart, holy. A vision that will last, a vision that will hold. That's our aim. So as we sing, I'm going to invite you maybe to reorient or maybe for the first time to set your eyes on the right hope, the grace revealed in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that in your kindness and mercy, you sent your son that through him, you might call us, call us into something amazing, and extraordinary. And we want our life to match that calling. So this has been hard work for me personally, my heart, my life, my desires these last few weeks. Allow us to do the hard work of checking those things And even maybe right now as we sing these words to set our hope on you again. Because you're worth it, Jesus. We love you, pray all this in your name as our king. Amen.
0: with us and sing. perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory, oh death, where is your victory, oh death, where is your sting, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus
7: Christ. i The better story. We're a part of the great story that Yahweh is working in this world. At the end of chapter one, will be precursor for next week. At the end of chapter one, he quotes from Isaiah the great story where Yahweh will come back and rescue his people, defeat the enemy of death, and bring everlasting goodness and grace to the world. And he said, That's the word that's been preached to you. And then all of next week, we're going to see, he's going to start loading up that story of the Old Testament and saying, That's the story you're walking in. Called exiles. Yes, get used to being weird, but called holy. That's our calling today. It's our calling with our lives. We're a part of the better story. So Fellowship Fayetteville, to that end, we leave here today. If you have prayer, we'd love to pray with you right through those doors. Have a wonderful week of worship. We love you. See you next week.